HIV was sweeping through Africa in the 90s. South Africa was ground zero in this viral war. The HIV rate there was as high as 22%. At one point, 20,000 people a month were dying from AIDS. Western pharmaceutical companies had developed really effective drugs against HIV, but the annual cost per person was more than $10,000, which South Africa couldn't afford. So to help fight the epidemic, the South African government wanted to import and make generic versions of the drugs to save lives at a fraction of the original cost. So they issued what's called a compulsory license to local manufacturing plants to start producing HIV drugs on the continent. Seems straightforward enough, right? People were dying, so the government wanted to do something about it. But when money's involved, nothing is ever that simple. The big pharmaceutical companies that own patents on those drugs were not happy. They actually went to court to try to challenge and prevent the South African government from issuing a license to create lower cost generic versions of antiretroviral drugs. That's Ronald Labonte, a professor of globalization and health equity at the University of Ottawa. The outrage at that time globally around what the pharmaceutical companies were doing in the, in the light of such a, a fatal pandemic sweeping the continent eventually the companies withdrew their court challenge, but they really suffered a lot of very bad press as a consequence. The parallels to our current situation are clear to see. Some of us today kind of are wondering, are we entering another period of time <laughs> where we've got the same sort of issue, a global pandemic, and pharmaceutical companies that are, don't seem to be willing to share their technology, their know-how, um, their ability for other countries uh, and other companies to be able to rapidly scale up production of these vaccines and other medical products. As COVID-19 ebbs in the U.S., many countries are enduring new waves of the disease. That's in part because of vaccine shortages in those countries. But some countries, like Canada, South Africa, and Bangladesh, think they have a solution. They say they have factories just sitting around, waiting to make vaccines. All they need is the recipe. The issue, just like it was in the late 90s, is patents. Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, and AstraZeneca all hold patents on their COVID vaccines. And those patents are lucrative. In 2021, Pfizer expects sales of over $15 billion from its vaccine. Moderna, $19 billion. Last year, there was a push to get pharmaceutical companies to share their COVID vaccine knowledge with the world. But none of the companies have voluntarily shared their expertise. So now there's a rising international debate about whether the World Trade Organization should temporarily waive COVID vaccine patents to prioritize public health over profit. But some argue that if you remove the chance companies will get super rich off of vaccines they develop, they won't bother developing vaccines at all. Patents may not seem like the most exciting issue, but they are so, so important to how we got to this moment, when people need vaccines, but there aren't enough to go around. If the patent system were different, so would our approach to fighting COVID-19. I'm Anna Rothschild, and this is Podcast 19 from 538.
The international community has rules governing whether foreign countries have to honor patents from, say, the U.S. Those rules were written fairly recently as part of a 1995 agreement on trade-related aspects of intellectual property rights, more commonly known as TRIPS. Again, here's Labonte. Most of the rules that are written down in the TRIPS agreement were actually written by the pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer in particular, and other intellectual property holding chemical uh, manufacturers. So when it comes to international intellectual property rights, drug companies wrote the rules, literally. And once TRIPS was passed, it gave the pharmaceutical companies a guaranteed monopoly. It basically says that the person who produced this invention or the company or entity, whatever it is, they have the exclusive right to sell this invention for some period of time. And usually the period of patent exclusivity is 20 years. Rachel Silverman is a policy fellow at the Center for Global Development, a nonpartisan think tank. She explained from the company's perspective that patent exclusivity, that's going to allow us to make a profit, a pretty sizable profit above what would exist in a competitive market. And that profit is what's going to incentivize uh, research and development. So that's going to allow us to recoup our investment. It's how we fund research and development in the U.S. and Europe. So how can foreign manufacturers get access to patented COVID vaccine technologies? Well, they have to ask through a process called voluntary licensing. The manufacturer pays the pharmaceutical company for use of their technology, with the understanding that they won't use that technology for anything else. But just because a company asks for a voluntary license doesn't mean it will receive one. Labonte told me about a Bangladesh-based vaccine manufacturer called Incepta. It has a brand new manufacturing plant where it's basically imported all the state-of-the-art equipment from Europe, from Germany. And this, this particular vaccine manufacturer is 75% underused right now. It has a 75% capacity. Currently, Incepta has several production lines in disuse. And according to the company, any one of those lines could produce at least half a billion doses each year. So it went to Moderna and said, we'd like to be able to get a license from you. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll pay for that license, right? So it's not, it's not that Moderna's getting it away for nothing. Incepta actually contacted Johnson & Johnson, Novavax, and Moderna. None of those companies were moved. And the pharma companies aren't just denying licenses to developing countries. There's, a, again, a, a very modern kind of manufacturing plant in Denmark called Bavarian Nordic. And it has the capacity to produce 200 million doses in very short order. And it is still trying to, to get a license with one of the vaccine producers. So why are COVID vaccine developers refusing to license their technology to foreign manufacturers? They're literally offering to pay for this intellectual property. I don't understand exactly what the downside is to these companies. Let's take a company like Moderna, who is basing their sort of entire business on the long-term viability of mRNA technology. Amit Sarpatwari is the assistant director of the Program on Regulation, Therapeutics, and Law at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. To share that know-how 
even if it's through a licensing that will assure protection of IP, means that their trade secrets are now in the hands of other people. And we may say that's great for society, but the company is saying, is that great for our shareholders for that know-how to be out there? And I think that there's a real fear that that is something that would take away a competitive edge in the marketplace for the long term. When the potential revenue earnings are talking already about using MR and technology for all of these other types of conditions, not just for the the COVID-19 pandemic. Most vaccine developers have rejected offers from foreign manufacturers to license their technology. In response, some countries want to issue those compulsory licenses we talked about at the top of the show. They're sort of like a loophole in the TRIPS agreement. Silverman explains. Countries can, in certain situations, for matters of public health, produce their own version of an invention, a health invention, without the permission of the patent holder. And then they would have to pay some sort of license, but they could actually decide what that license fee would be. This year, a Canadian company, Biolize, attempted to get a voluntary license from Johnson & Johnson, but was turned down. Now, it hopes to produce the J&J vaccine for Bolivia through a compulsory license. They have some legal challenges ahead, but that's not their only problem. Labonte told me that compulsory licenses don't provide access to what's called undisclosed information. And that's the information that's proprietary that patent holding companies file in order to get their patent. That information gives manufacturers insights into how to make the vaccine. That's why many countries, led by India and South Africa, are requesting a waiver to TRIPS, which would extend beyond patents and cover all COVID-related intellectual property. The waiver would be temporary until we achieve widespread global vaccination and most of the world's population has developed immunity. But it would allow foreign manufacturers to make existing COVID vaccines without the threat of a trade dispute. Recently, more and more countries have come out in favor of a TRIPS waiver, including the United States, France, and China. But as Labonte says, even if the World Trade Organization grants this waiver, all that means is... It removes the first hurdle. Meaning countries would not face any legal ramifications for manufacturing COVID vaccines. But some experts, like Silverman, think that alone isn't worthwhile. It would not force someone from Pfizer to get on a plane, come over to India, and show them how to make the vaccine. In other words, even though a company couldn't sue you for making their vaccine, it would not force that company to reveal any trade secrets that weren't in the patent application. And Silverman thinks that without that inside information, it would be really hard for foreign manufacturers to reverse engineer COVID vaccines. Vaccines are a complex biological product. There are sometimes hundreds of different components that go in. The exact steps to produce these vaccines are not something you can just figure out from looking at it. I might have flour and water and yeast, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to automatically know how to make the same type of bread that Paul Hollywood from the Great British Bake Off knows how to make. Yes. And even if you are separately a world-class baker, if you're just looking at the text, you're not learning from him directly, you're not seeing what he does step by step, he's not coaching you, 
it's not about you being a bad baker. It's not about you having the recipe, although, you know, all of that would be helpful. But even with all those things in place, it's still not as simple as just copying it. I want to push back a little bit on that point because I think it's been used as a, as a scare tactic in saying why the waiver may not be effective. Here's Sarpat Wari. My point is it, those are challenges that are surmountable. The question is, are they surmountable in the time scale and in the sort of amount of product that's needed in the, in the immediate future? Regardless of whether it's possible to reverse engineer these vaccines, Labonte thinks, like with the HIV drugs, optics may be a powerful incentive for pharmaceutical companies to share their knowledge. It's going to be extremely embarrassing for them, I think, over the longer term, not to do so. I think politically it could also be kind of like have a, a blowback on them. Especially since governments gave pharmaceutical companies billions of dollars for COVID vaccine research and development. But Silverman is worried that if the patents are waived, the companies might not be motivated to invest in global public health at all. I want to see pharmaceutical companies incentivized to solve the world's big problems. I want them working on COVID vaccines and updates for new variants. I want them working on a cure or vaccine for HIV, a malaria vaccine, new TB cures. Like, we need all of this. What you don't want is a situation where we're telling pharma, you know, don't focus on the most important issues of the day, because if you do so, if you produce something really important, we'll just take it. Spend all your time on the next Viagra, the next uh, Botox. No one's going to come after you for that. But Sarpat Wari told me pharmaceutical companies aren't actually incentivized to solve the world's biggest problems even now. If you're looking at what society needs, definitely there is a skew in terms of our system incentivizes the development of products that are less risky to make and in which payers have an obligation to pay. In fact, the pharma companies are incentivized to keep making the same drug, just with a few small tweaks. There's also the sense that if I can make just a marginally uh, better drug, or maybe it's frankly not even marginally better, but has a longer patents, longer market exclusivity associated with it, it's worthwhile to make it because the payers have to cover it. So as long as I can convince physicians that they should prescribe this drug, then I'm going to invest in this rather than investing in, let's say, something extraordinarily risky, but which has enormous potential upside from a public health standpoint. So you've seen a lot of companies over the past two decades shutter their portfolios for central nervous system diseases, so like Alzheimer's. We want, from a public health standpoint, them to do the exact opposite. We want to ramp up <laughs> drug development in this space, but it's very difficult. And so uh, there is not the appropriate incentive to do that. Labonte thinks we need to rethink the incentive structure for pharmaceutical companies. So, so we have a system right now which, which is really based on kind of oligopolistic or monopolistic market models. And yes, it produces stuff. But is it producing the right stuff at the right time at the right price for the, the whole global population? Should we give prizes for people to do the R&D in terms of, of these companies? Should we kind of incentivize in different ways to make sure that the, the companies can still sort of do the research they want? 
In some ways, Operation Warp Speed used this prize model. The government gave Moderna nearly $1 billion to develop a COVID vaccine and then prepaid another $1.5 billion for 100 million doses before even knowing if they'd work. Yet the companies are still raking in the cash. And what happens if we can't control COVID around the globe and it continues to mutate so we need to get new booster shots each year? Well, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson have a plan for that. They've already told their investors they'll raise the price if COVID looks like it'll be sticking around for a while. A quick note, we reached out to Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson for this episode. None agreed to an interview, but a rep from Pfizer directed us to a joint statement from international pharmaceutical trade organizations outlining five steps to increase COVID vaccine equity. Those include sharing excess doses, reducing trade barriers for raw materials, and prioritizing the development of new COVID vaccines. It did not support a TRIPS waiver. That's it for this episode of Podcast 19. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, email us a voice memo at askpodcast19 at gmail.com. That's askpodcast19 at gmail.com. I'm Anna Rothschild. Our producer is Sinduja Srinivasan. Chadwick Matlin is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. See you next time.